this week we have a pretty special week. Um, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we're going to have uh, a three-part series, Conversations on Race. Um, in chapel, yeah, on, in chapel on Wednesday, we'll have Christina Edmondson from Calvin College. And on Friday, Michelle Higgins Lofton will be in chapel uh, from South City Church in St. Louis. Uh, and a number of, of things are going to be taking place. We're going to have a panel on Thursday. Uh, there will be an evening event, the Race Card Project with, with Dr. Weikbro. Um, emails have gone out. Um, slides are up so you can get the full breadth of the information. Uh, it is my privilege to introduce our speaker for this morning, Miss Hannah Bloomquist. <laughs> Hannah is the, the resident director of Andreas Hall and the student apartments. And Andreas, you guys killed it at down at Andreas. It was awesome. Well done. Um, because we know her, we sometimes forget where she came from. Hannah has her uh, uh, BA in Bible and women's ministry from Moody Bible Institute. She also has her master's in Christian formation and ministry in student development from Wheaton College. Uh, she is a gifted teacher. Uh, she loves theology and the study of scripture. And when she is not on campus, you will likely find her at Starbucks enjoying her favorite coffee-flavored dessert drink. <laughs> she calls it coffee. <laughs> uh, coffee-flavored dessert drink is more appropriate. Um, please give a warm Scots welcome for Hannah Bluefish. <laughs> Americano, so it is not a dessert-flavored drink. I'll say that. So, good morning. Um, this morning's title for my chapel is Fear, so it's a happy chapel. Um, honestly, it's been a little bit ironic that I chose this topic, considering that my disposition leading up to this day has been haunted by fear and anxiety and self-inflicted pressure. And I do confess that this topic is not neatly packaged or um, fully developed in my own life. But I do pray that as I testify to the work that God has done in me and is continuing to do in me, that you would be edified and encouraged. So before I begin, would you pray with me as I commit this time to the Lord? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity. And I do pray that you would truly speak through me. Lord, please filter my words through your truth. And I pray above all that you would be glorified. Amen. So growing up, I really didn't consider myself to be a very fearful person. Um, my connotation of fear was limited to someone who was literally scared, like shaking in their boots or um, cowering at any sudden movements. I will say I was a little bit jumpy. I still kind of am, and I blame that on my family. My family has this weird delight in scaring each other. Um, every time I walk into the house or come out of the bathroom or bedroom, I am waiting for my dad to jump around the corner and scare me. And Kid you not, every single night, probably around nine o'clock, my dad hides in the closet and he scares my mom. And she screams, bloody murder, every single night. And you'd think that after 30 years of marriage that she would be prepared, and she somehow isn't. And I love you, mom. Just listening. But other than that, I had the normal, like, irrational fears, you know, like someone grabbing you from under the bed if you got out from the middle of the night. Or I grew up in Arizona, so I was afraid that there would be scorpions covering me. Um, but aside from these, I considered myself to be a fairly bold, confident, and outgoing person. 
And it wasn't until I went to grad school that I began to realize that my understanding of fear was fairly narrow and incomplete. So it was three years ago, almost to the day, when I was in grad school that I was sitting in a one-on-one -on -one with my supervisor, Erica, and I was just venting about a myriad of situations and issues that were overwhelming me and causing me anxiety. I was frustrated about a student who was making some bad decisions and I felt like it was reflecting poorly on me and my leadership. I was stressed about school. I felt like all of my classmates were having an easier time writing their thesis than I was. I was experiencing some health issues and I hadn't received the blood results or the, the blood tests back and so my mind was constantly racing with possible diagnoses offered from the ever helpful WebMD. I was burdened by the pain and the suffering of my friends and some of my students in which I felt completely helpless. And I feared being lonely and without friendships after I graduated college or grad school. And so after spewing this list, I was like, ugh, Erica, I just feel like I'm too empathetic and I care too much for people. And Erica listened graciously and she was like, you know, Hannah, I could be wrong but I wonder if this isn't an issue of being too empathetic or compassionate, but maybe an issue of control. Skirt. <laughs> One, she was rarely ever wrong, so that's annoying. And two, as painful as it was to hear, she was dead on. And immediately I felt overwhelmed with anxiety and embarrassment and fear, and it was out of these feelings that the Lord began to show me that I controlled out of fear. Fear that I would make the wrong choices. Fear that I wasn't good enough as a sister or daughter or friend. Fear that I would be lonely. Fear of physical pain and sickness. Fear that the ones that I love would make destructive decisions. Fear of discerning God's will for my future. Fear of others' perceptions. The list could go on. And really, all of these fears boiled down to two fears. The fear of the unknown and the fear of what others think. So this morning, I want to parse out these two fears. And then I want to look to scripture for our response. So the first one is the fear of the unknown. As I've been preparing for this talk, I've asked several of you what you would say are some of the top fears among your peers. And for many of you, the first thing that you said was a fear that comes of what comes after college. And the second was a fear of being lonely. So of a fear of an unknown future and the fear of being unknown. I think that we can all agree that this fear of an unknown future is pervasive in our culture. I mean, we're continually questioning, thinking, planning for the future. What are future weekend plans, future internships, future jobs, future relationships? And I think many times the questions, thoughts, and plans for the future are overwhelming and they can produce anxiety and fear. When I was a senior in college, I remember feeling overwhelmed by what I was going to do after college. And questions like, what jobs am I going to apply for? How do I choose which one? What is God's will for my life? All flooded my mind all the time. And I remember a professor seeing me fairly distressed, and he came up to me and he's like, Hannah, how can I pray for you? And I asked him to pray that the Lord would give me clarity of God's will for my life. And he looked at me and he said, uh, Hannah, I'm sorry, but I can't pray that for you. Okay, thank you. Um, he then proceeded to tell me a story about a man named John Kavanaugh, who was this famous ethicist who went all the way to Calcutta to seek Mother Teresa out in order to get some direction for his life. And when he met with her, he asked her to pray for him. What do you want me to pray for, she asked. He then uttered the request that he had carried thousands of miles with him. Clarity, pray that I have clarity. No, Mother Teresa answered, I will not do that. Sounds familiar. 
When he asked her why, she said, clarity is the last thing you are clinging to and the first thing you must let go of. And when Kavanaugh told her that she always seemed to have clarity, the kind of clarity that he was looking for, Mother Teresa laughed and said, I have never had clarity. What I have had is trust. So I will pray that you trust God. So my professor told me, Hannah, I will pray that you trust God. Cool. So my desire, honestly, to know the will of God was not out of a place of trust in him, but rather out of a fear that if I picked the wrong thing that I would experience pain and disappointment. I had somehow become convinced that God's will was equivalent to a pain-free life, a life where all endeavors would be successful, where my dreams and longings would be fulfilled, and my need to know his will was out of a place of self-protection, seeking to wield the Lord to fulfill my plans and my desires. Indeed, we are called to pray for wisdom and discernment and to seek wise counsel, but I wonder if sometimes we're seeking clarity or a sign from God to avoid taking action and risking or being strong and courageous or trusting in God. I could be wrong, but I wonder if we avoid applying for certain jobs or leadership positions or taking challenging classes or asking someone on a casual date or forging a new friendship not because we haven't seen a clear sign from the Lord that we should do these things, but because we're afraid that it might yield rejection and hard work and failure or vulnerability. Some of you guys are like, duh. This leads me to the fear of being unknown. So our desire for connection and friendship, love and intimacy is both God-given and yet it has been affected by the fall. I've had countless conversations with friends and with students who feel so lonely, even if they've just hung out with a group of friends. And you might be sitting here thinking, I pour out and I pour out and I pursue and I constantly give of myself and I barely get anything in return. Or maybe you tell yourself that you don't want to need anyone because it's so hurtful and disappointment, disappointing when that need is unmet. Undeniably, we are created for a need for a relationship and community but I do think when that need is not filtered first and foremost through our need for God and relationship with him, fear can settle in and fester. Because when we fear the unknown, it can actually counteract our efforts. This happens when you place maybe unspoken or unrealistic expectations on friends that actually suffocate growth. Or when you fear losing the position of best friend, which can lead to exclusivity or codependency when you fear not being pursued romantically, so the first relationship that comes along, you cling to it as collateral to ensure against end up being single, even if the relationship is unhealthy or unwise. You might not fear being loved, so you use people to serve you and your own desires, acquiring possession of them in your mind through lust and pornography. Or perhaps the fear of being unknown has, has led you to suffer from FOMO, the fear of missing out. You say yes to everything, not always because you want to do whatever is going on or necessarily have the energy, but because if you don't go, no one will miss you or desire to invite you the next time. I believe that my fear of being unknown comes from a limited view of the cross. I easily forget the profundity of my union with Christ and the fact that I am already so deeply known. I mean, Psalm 139, you guys know this psalm. It tells us that God knows everything about us, every thought, every word, every deed, every desire, which honestly should make us feel a little uncomfy and perhaps lead us to repent. And yet, despite the fact that every facet of our being is infected by sin, Christ died for us, and he calls us worthy, and his thoughts about us are precious and vast. And honestly, that should blow our minds 
and lead us into deep gratitude and celebration of the communion that we have in Christ. Additionally, it's our fear of being unknown that we can become consumed with ourselves, so much so that we disregard knowing others. If our sole concern is to be known, loved, and affirmed, then we can easily neglect our call to friendship, to ask questions of others, to serve others, to listen, to love. In his book, uh, When People Are Big and God Is Small, Ed Welch writes, in regards to other people, our problem is that we need them for ourselves more than we love them for the glory of God. Instead of looking at people as transactional, which is, I do these things to get love and affirmation in return, it's supposed to be, I love and serve because God loves me. And it is the fear in the unknown and our fixation on the future that leads us away from gratitude and keeps us from knowing and displaying the love of God. C.S. Lewis writes, Gratitude looks to the past and love to the present, but fear, avarice, lust, and ambition look ahead. Our second aspect of fear is the fear of what others think. And this one has had its roots deeply tangled in my life, and I'm still learning how to untangle them. A little background on me, I grew up as a pastor's kid um, my entire life, and for the most part, I loved it. But for anyone who grew up as a ministry kid, um, you can testify that it's kind of like growing up in a fishbowl. Everybody knows who you are, they have a vested interest in your life, they see everything, they hear everything, and I really wanted people to like me. I wanted them to think well of me. And so I became really good at image management and perfectionism. And some of you in here might be thinking, I don't really care what other people think. You know, I do my own thing, I wear what I want, think what I want, say what I want. And perhaps the perceptions of others really don't have a huge hold or weight in your life. And I wish I could say the same thing. However, the evidence of this fear in my life continues to reveal itself. And it actually became more apparent this last summer when I read that book, When People Are Big and God Is Small. Because Ed Welch, he presents these series of questions to identify if the fear of others is an issue for you. And I'm going to read some of these questions, and I would love for you to just take note if you identify with any. Number one, is self-esteem a critical concern for you? Are many of your choices made out of consideration of what others might think of you? Maybe what you wear, what music you listen to, what activities you engage in. Number two, are you always second-guessing decisions because of what other people might think? Do you constantly replay and overanalyze conversations and situations in your brain? Do you ever lie? Even the little white lies or lies of omission are your lies and exaggerations an attempt to make yourself look better and more interesting to others? Number four, do you avoid people, fearing that people will think that you're not enjoyable to be around or that they will think your contributions in class are less than intelligent? Or maybe you avoid confronting a friend in sin because you fear that they're going to think you're judgmental or unloving. Do you compare yourself to other people, hoping others will think that you're better than the guy or the girl sitting next to you? And when I first read this list, I was a little overwhelmed. And my immediate thought was, I wonder who thinks I do these things, which is ironic. <laughs> because this list isn't limited to the shy and the mousy types. It includes the outgoing and the loud and the intimidating, because we all have the possibility of being controlled by others because we fear what they think. Welch continues in his book by mentioning um, one secular author offers this prescription to this epidemic, and she says to just love ourselves more. But the evangelical world thought that that was a little shallow, so we said, just know that God loves you more because God can fill you with love so that you don't have to be filled by other people or controlled by what they think. But even that kind of misses it. 
I mean, the love of God can be a profound answer to just about any human struggle. But sometimes we can use it in such a way that it is a watered-down version of a profoundly rich truth. Because of our shortcomings, this answer misses the call to consider others better than yourselves, Philippians 2.3, and it ignores personal repentance. Sometimes it still allows that our needs are the center of the world and God becomes our psychic errand boy given the task of inflating our self-esteem. Our fear of what others think is not an issue of self-esteem that needs to be remedied with a higher view of self, but rather an issue of God-esteem, a need to have a higher view of God and what it means to be identified in him. Now, my intention is not to make anyone in here feel like a controlling fear-induced narcissist, but what I do want to do is for us to be aware of how unfiltered fear can lead to sin and unhealthy habits, and then for us to realize our need for a remedy. As someone who is currently in the process of working through these things, and probably always will be, I'm realizing that just being fearless isn't really helpful because we're always going to struggle with fear this side of heaven. But we can learn how to respond according to, to scripture with strength and courage. And so I want to offer four possible remedies that both scripture and wiser voices in my life have exhorted me to practice. Number one, fear God. Um, so one, e one evening last spring at around 11.30 p.m., I went to go drop something off in my office, and uh, Kat Andrews and Ellie Blau and Madison Gibbons were hanging out in there. And as I walked in, Kat immediately looks at me, and she's like, Hannah, sit down, we need to talk. Why don't we fear God and believe in the sufficiency of Scripture? I was like, it's good to see you too. And although I wasn't a prepared for this theological discussion, I was so challenged and encouraged by the urgency that these women felt to know God's word and to fear him. We've all heard the imperative, fear the Lord. It's written like 84 times plus in scripture. Deuteronomy 6.24 tells us, and the Lord commanded us to do these things, to fear the Lord. Isaiah 33.6, and he will be the sure foundation for your times, a rich storehouse of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. But what does it mean? The fear of the Lord means reverent submission that leads to obedience. It means to worship him to rely on him, to trust on him, to hope in him, to be in awe of him. One writer, John Bloom from the Gospel Coalition, he writes, the person or persons to whom we ascribe most authority to define who we are, what we're worth, and what we do, and how we do it, is the one who we fear the most, because it's their approval we want the most. God designed us this way, for it reveals who and what our heart loves. This fear comes right from the place where our heart's treasure is stored. It is a fear of losing or not obtaining something we really desire, which is why it wields such power over us. We obey and take on the identity of the one that we fear most, the one whose approval and affirmation is our reward and whose disapproval is our curse. This is the one we will worship and obey. And that's why the Bible so often commands us to fear the Lord. Number two, engage others. We talked about how these fears can lead to self-consumed navel-gazers, and this posture actually sends us into this vicious cycle that perpetuates our fears, and it closes us off from community. In 1 John 4.18, it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. So God, who is perfect love, continually gives of himself to others and seeks their benefit. Let us lift our heads outside of ourselves 
to seek out the benefit of others, to befriend, to love others, to ask them what's going on in their lives, to sit with them in their suffering, to read the news and see what's going on out of our own bubble. From this, our fears can actually be put into perspective, and our hearts and our minds can be calmed, allowing truth to permeate through us. Another thing, engage others by doing things. Be adventurous, be creative, and brave in your activities. I love it when I see you guys playing spike ball or doing a mystery date or going to a jump park or serving at Project 52 together because our fears can cripple us and they can leave us stuck in our heads, but being active can actually keep us from being swallowed by fear. So where are the areas that you can engage in, that you can take risks, that you can be creative and serve and love others? Number three, abide in Christ. To abide in Christ is to be connected to him, to see him as your source of life, and to seek to grow out of him. John 15, 4 says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. Because our fears can poison our connection to the vine. So instead of producing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, they produce worry and doubt and pride and avarice and lust and control. But when we're connected to the Lord through the reading of his word, through prayer, through engaging in the body of Christ, there is little to no room for fear to flourish. Number four, our last one, repent and release. Typically, when I become aware of the sin that has either led to or come out of fear, I quickly try to cover my shame, and I look for ways to correct things, and I neglect confessing and repenting. Acts 3.19 tells us repent and then turn to God so that our sins may be wiped out, that time of refreshing may come from the Lord. And we know, we know that true repentance is not just apologizing, but it requires that we submit to the Lord in humble obedience and that we release control and that we release our fears unto him. I don't know what release looks like for you in your life, but for me, I'm learning to release my position as mediator and savior to my family and friends to release my body to the Lord and trust that he has purpose in its dysfunctions, to release my perfectionistic mentality and trust that his grace is sufficient for me, to release my students to the Lord and trust in the work and the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives, to release my anxiety about where I will be and who my community will be in the future. And as I practice releasing, I move from filtering everything from a lens of fear through a lens of gratitude, which allows me to recognize God's sovereign grace and mercy. My hope is that as we fear God, engage others, abide in Christ, release and repent, which just happens to spell out the word fear, that our fear of the unknown and fear of what others think would truly be alleviated, and that his truth and his peace and his joy would abound in and through us. Pray with me. Lord, we confess that we are a fearful people, Lord, please forgive us, fill us with your spirit, help us to be strong and courageous, and to trust in you. Amen.